0: Somebody say amen. You know, today is the the fifth Sunday, and on the fifth Sunday we always uh, take a a love offering for churches Touching Lives for Christ at the end of our service, and I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, We we help feed uh, the people in our our city, and uh, it helps to go to clothe them and to, to minister to them. So uh, we'll have ushers by the doors on our way out. It's a free will offering, but I know that you'll want to be a part of that today. We also have our church conference immediately following our worship time. So uh, when we go over, I'm apologizing now, okay? Uh, we'll probably get out a little bit late today, but uh, I know that God is in control, and, and it's a, a beautiful thing. Next Sunday morning, we're going to have a baptismal service And uh, we've got several that are going to be baptized, so I know you want to be here to to witness that. And also coming up next month, um, just to mark your calendar, um, we're planning, we've got um, three ladies in our congregation who are going to have babies this fall. And so we've got three baby showers next month. Um, One the 12th, one the 19th, and one the 26th. So... um, um, Get those baby uh, presents out. What we'll do is uh, we'll have some information in the bulletin next week. Uh, So it's still a couple of weeks out and you you can uh, figure out what we need to do there. Um, But also just uh, be a part of that. What a blessing it is that God would entrust those little ones uh, to us. Imagine how you would feel if you were told that you only had a few months left to live. And really, you know, you you think about that and uh, you you might try to cram a lifetime into uh, those last days. You know, you might travel places that you really want to see or uh, you might do things that you never found time to do before. And it would not be difficult to understand why someone would want to spend their last days indulging themselves. You know, in Romans chapter 13, in verses 8 through 14, Paul proposes a radical different response to a similar type of deadline. One that every believer must face. And really what he says is this, he, in light of the reality that we are all dying. We all have an appointment. We need to recognize that. You and I have an appointment. That at some point, unless the Lord comes back, unless the Lord Jesus returns, we will all die. See, Paul, he challenges us as believers not to indulge ourselves but to give ourselves sacrificially to others and seeking their good as we await the return of our King Jesus. What he says in this passage in chapter 13, I want to read uh, three verses, verse 8, 9, and 10. If you have your Bible and would open it up to Romans 13. 8, 9, and 10. Paul writes this. He says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Loving Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to be together today. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth, that your Holy Spirit would convict our hearts, and Father, that you would show us where we have not been loving. Father, I pray that we would be transformed by our time with you today. Guide us as we seek you, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting, there was, a story is told about a, a Roman nobleman that, that died, and he had um, lots of, of uh, enormous debts, but he had successfully concealed those during his lifetime. And, and as he was dying, after he died, his estate was put up for auction, and, and Caesar Augustus, he made the, the, the command that he wanted to buy the man's pillow, Of all things, his pillow. And someone expressed surprise at that order. And he said, well, that that pillow must have been particularly conducive to sleep. Because if its late owner, in spite of all his debts, was able to sleep on it, it must be a really good pillow. Folks, debt creates pressure. Debt creates pressure, and no one likes pressure. And and I want to just encourage you in this, as Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should pay our financial obligations because we represent Christ. If we owe someone money, we should pay them that money. I say this not because there's not a cause. We hear about it all the time. People who feel like maybe they've been wronged in some way, but they don't want to pay the debt. And what I'm saying as Christians, we should pay our financial obligations. Paul says here in Romans 8, Owe nothing to anyone except the love uh, to love one another. And this, this owe nothing to anyone can, can easily be misunderstood. And, and and what I'm saying is I'm not saying that there aren't times where we don't have to borrow money or we shouldn't borrow money. What I'm saying is we need to make sure that we're paying our bills on time. If we make the obligation, then we need to meet the obligation. Because they're all too willing to give us credit. All over the place. The problem isn't the credit. The problem is that we misuse the credit. And that we're not financially stable we're not where we we want and we consume on the lust but with money we don't even have and the idea is as a believer we need to be true to our word to what we say we're going to do we need to pay those financial obligations you know the, the apostle paul here he wasn't uh, forbidding all debt rather he's saying we need to pay them when they're due now this term, as, as we, we render O here, it's, it's used a number of times in the New Testament. And it, it, it's interesting because it, it's used in several different forms, but most often it is not used in the sense of a final debt. It's not used in, in that sense or, or, or an obligation. Usually it's employed in a, a broader sense of duty or obligation that way. And I would say it would probably be best conveyed with the word ought that we ought to. See, although Paul is speaking about a sense of obligation to others, you know, as a Christian, it would be a mistake to conclude that any obligation other than love is evil or and therefore forbidden. That's not what he's saying. As Paul has stated previously, because of God's grace and mercy, we are obligated, you and I are obligated to present our bodies as living sacrifices. Romans 12, because of the mercy that we've received from God, we are to be obligated to that, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. I mean, Paul was obligated to preach the gospel. To the Greeks and also to the barbarians. If you look in Romans chapter 1 verse 14. He says, I am under obligation. Both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. Both to the wise and the foolish. He's preaching because he's under obligation. He, he feels like he ought to. That obligation. We are obligated not to live according to the flesh. According to his word. We're to live according to the spirit, not to the flesh. We're obligated to serve others and and to seek their good, even our enemies. He says earlier in this passage that we are obligated to honor those in authority. Those who have have been uh, put in authority over us. And we will see in future passages that the strong have an obligation to help those who are weak. To help them and, 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 and hold them up. See, as I understand Paul's words here in, in, in this passage, he is teaching us that our highest obligation towards others is our obligation to love them. To love them. I mean, there are other obligations which we will always have towards others. But those obligations are to come later on. They're to come down the the, the road, down the chain, if you will, the list of priority. We're supposed to love them above all else. And those other obligations come down below that. See, Paul doesn't exclude all other obligations. But rather he says they're lower than our highest obligation. Folks, loving God, loving Almighty God is our highest priority. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like the first, love your neighbor as yourself. See, there are only two great commandments. That we love God supremely and that we love our neighbor as ourself. See, self-love is the assumed standard That we want to measure your love for others. How much do you love yourself? You can tell how much you love yourself. You should be able to tell how much you love yourself by how you love others. That's the measure. Love your neighbor as yourself. But we all love ourselves quite well, don't we? You love yourself quite well. I think we do. I mean, we all take care of ourselves, right? I mean, we look out for us. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt every time. I might think something like this. I might even say something like this. You know, I've noticed that anyone who drives slower than I do is an idiot. I'm driving along, and it's like, man, they need to take driving lessons or something. They need to get off the road. But I would also say this anyone that drives faster than I do is a maniac. Did you see that guy? Man, he's going to cause an accident, he's going to kill somebody. But hey, I drive great, I don't need to make any changes. I'm a pretty good driver. You see, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt every time. Oh, that we should give our neighbor the benefit of the doubt. Listen, all these other obligations in their own levels of priority are lower than loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. See, if I understand Paul correctly, my obligation, even to the government, is lower than my obligation to love others. And when I love others, I fulfill the law. Not only God's law, as seen in the Old Testament, but but also the government's law as well. But if the government orders me to do things that are contrary to to loving others, then I would have to disobey the government. I mean, let me me give you a scenario here. Consider an example. A German citizen during World War II was ordered to betray known Jews so they could be exterminated, would have difficulty doing so in a way that would be viewed as loving their neighbor. See, in Romans this, this passage uh, in 13 uh, verses 8 through 10 not only gives my obligation to love others a higher priority than those other obligations, such as to obey the government and its laws, but it explains why this can be true. Because when I love others, I fulfill the law. When my priorities are set to love God first and love my neighbor ...as myself, what's going to happen is this. Loving God will not hinder me from loving my neighbor. And loving my neighbor will not hinder me from obeying the law. See, love fulfills the law. I mean, Paul tells us that, and, and it's no new rev, rev, excuse me, revelation... Paul's proof comes from Leviticus 19, 18, where he says, Don't take vengeance upon yourself. Don't exact the punishment phase of what you're doing. Love your neighbor as yourself. He said, because I am the Lord. It's not up to us to get even with someone. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. See, love would never prohibit. Excuse me. Love would never permit the things that Old Testament law prohibited. I love this because God works this all together for His glory. See, love would not commit adultery. Love would not commit murder. Love would not steal things. Love would not covet something that belongs to some, someone. I mean, it seems like the emphasis on these verses is fairly negative. I mean, why does Paul speak of what love will not do, rather than what it will do? And I think that's important. Because Paul has already spoken a lot about the positive outworking of love. If you look in chapter 2, verses 3 through 21, he talks about that. These are the things that love will do. And then in, in chapter 13, he's talking about what love will not do. And, and, and I think that's, that's huge because when we think about that, the law tends to be more negative in nature. The law tends to prohibit people from actions which would harm their fellow citizens. I mean, the law focuses more on prevention of evil than the doing of good. That makes sense. See, while love, I want to say especially in a marriage relationship, should involve our feelings... I want you to hear what I have to say. Love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment that results in an action. So when I say, when when God says to love your neighbor as yourself, he's talking about a commitment that results in an action. He's not talking about having warm fuzzies. That, that warm feeling inside about your neighbor. What he's talking about is a commitment that results in action. See, love is a commitment that we make to sacrifice ourselves for the good of others. <laughs> and you need to understand something. That the highest good that anyone could ever get is to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And to begin growing, to become more like Him. I mean, love may be the thoughtfulness to to recognize a need in someone's life and take action before they make a request on it. It may be seeing the need and, 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 and making a commitment and being involved in that process and committing to action in that. That could be classified as love. It may be taking the time with a total stranger to share Christ with them and to tell them about your faith in the Lord Jesus. Love may, may realize that a brother in Christ is, is drifting spiritually or may be involved in sin... And it may be stepping in and rescuing that brother and helping them come back to the Lord. You see, I think it's interesting that Paul, he he gives us four evils here that he names. And they're all found in the the Old Testament, in the law of Moses, just as he names them. Adultery and murder and theft and coveting. We're talking about love, right? We're talking about love. These are all categorized as actions which would harm others. Hear what I'm saying. Few people would debate that murder and stealing wrong a neighbor. Most people would say, yeah, I believe that. But the two sins of adultery and coveting are less universally condemned. Today in America... Adultery isn't considered immoral. And it isn't illegal. In fact, adultery is often justified by asserting that there was no love in the relationship. Oh, but there is love in the extramarital one. Time out. You cannot use that. If there is no love, it's not a feeling, it's a commitment that results in action. When we read this, adultery is is so rampant in our society, in our world, accepts adultery because it believes it is an expression of love. Because we don't understand what love is. We're messed up when it comes to thinking about love. See, the Bible, it condemns adultery as a violation of love. I mean, how do we explain the difference? We first must begin by affirming that adultery is sin simply because God's word says so. Not because how we feel about someone else, but because God's word says that it's sin and it forbids it in his holy law. See, we must also agree with Paul that some sins, he specifically mentions coveting, would never be recognized as sin unless God prohibited it among his people. And because God says it's wrong, it's wrong. That's his word. See, God divinely banned these sins. See, but adultery is considered sin in our text because it harms our neighbor. See, adultery involves our neighbor in sin, which carries with it divine condemnation. See, it does great damage to individuals. It does great damage to families It destroys the intimacy of the marital union. It ultimately produces no good and brings much evil. Because of this, adultery is condemned as sin. And it's contrary to love. See, you don't commit adultery because you are in love. You commit adultery as sin against love. I mean, if you you love someone... You're not going to commit adultery against them. You see this. It's a, it's a sin against God. It's against love. Because God is love. Coveting. It's also harmful to my neighbor. I mean, the Old Testament law says we are not to covet our neighbor's wife, or his, or his um, property, or, or his house, or his cattle, or his possessions, or his servants. I mean, even in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus taught that the attitudes which lead to sinful actions are just as sinful as the actions themselves. The thoughts, the attitudes that lead to the sinful action. I mean, we might be able to capture the essence of this attitude with the term expectation. See, in our culture, we... We see and we recognize others have a very different attitude towards sin. We, we, we see this, this term expectation and in our sinful, self-seeking flesh, we don't look upon others with an obligation to serve them at our expense. Isn't that what we were talking about with love? But we want to be served by them at their expense. And we live in a day of expectation, we live in a day of entitlement, and not obligation. See, when we love, it will be out of a sense of obligation that we serve, that we do that because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Why do you think Paul said, I am under obligation to the Greeks and to the barbarians to go preach the gospel to them? See, if our outlook were one of Christian love, we would approach Sundays as a time of obligation where we give ourselves to others and set aside our selfish desires. We're going to be here for other people. To serve them. But sadly most Christians have taken the attitude of the world. Rather than being renewed in our minds and to think like our Lord. We look around to see if others are affirming us. And meeting our needs. Think about this. We look at the past. We look back not so much. To consider the obligation and the debt which we owe to our parents for raising us, for giving us life, but we look back to the past to see how dysfunctional our family was and to contemplate how family members have failed us. Folks, there's a problem with that. Where's the love? Where's the sense of obligation? Where is the commitment that takes us to action? We just want to look back and complain about how bad it was. Rather than what they did for us. See, I think this is the heart of many things in our society. When we look back with expectation... And not with obligation. When we look around with expectation and not with obligation. That's not the way of love. Love lowers self-interest in order to serve others. And it seeks to others gain at my expense. See, Paul is saying that this love is to be shown selflessly... To all the relationships around you. First within the church. But then outside the church. See we are the perfect ones to love somebody. Because we've received that love. We have received the love of our Savior. We have been poured grace upon us. We've received God's love. And we ought to love one another. Because if we're not loving one another here, in here, we're not going to love out there. See, the love that the Spirit of God produces in us fulfills the character requirement that God has on all of his creation ever since the beginning. You know, the, the revival preacher Jonathan Edwards, and I'm almost done... He was trying to determine the reality of all the many professions of faith that happened during the Great Awakening. He was trying to figure out if if, if it was real, if people were were genuinely um, um, saved by Christ, and if they they were walking in the Spirit. And this is is what he, he came up with. He said he put love at the top of the list in determining whether someone's faith was genuine. He believed that the evidences of love or their absence were the best test by which Christians might try their experience whether it be a real Christian conversion. So let me ask you, would you pass the test? Or more importantly, would your family Or those you live with. Would they say yes. You are a loving person. Granted it's a lifelong growth process. And we all fail to to love as we ought. But love should be our diligent focus. And we should be growing in that process. See as Christians... We should pay our debts, including the debt of love for others, because love fulfills God's law. I mean, if you've received the, the generous gift of eternal life, then you owe a debt to love all people. You can't pick and choose. All people. But here's the good deal you don't have to pay it out of your meager store of love. You pay it out of God's store of love. He's the one who owns it all. And He says, I need you to be my conduit. I need you to pass on the love that I give you to others. And you know what? Every time you do that, he refills it and he refills it and he refills it over and over and over again, because you cannot outgive God. See, I, I love this because he's talking about love. Oh, No one, anything, except for the debt of love. You're never going to get it paid off. Keep loving. Keep giving. Keep loving. See, as the Lord enables you to be rooted and grounded in love and to know the love of Christ, which blows away our knowledge. How God could send his son to earth to die on a cross for a sinner like me makes no sense. The matter of fact is that he did that for you and for me. And his commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, I'm going to supply the love. Why would we not do that? Why would we not be obligated? See, I believe. That if we're not as loving as we should be Maybe there's a problem Maybe there's a problem here Because we're not loving well I tell you Jesus Christ He loved me well He loved me to the end He's never going to leave me Never, never going to depart from me And I never ever regret the decision To follow Jesus Christ I've never ever regretted that See, here's the key. In order for you to love others the way that God would have you to love them, you must receive his love first. And some of us, oh, we've grown sour. The world has come in and taken advantage of us so many times we've become cynical. The problem is, is we're not being restocked with that love. We've shut the valve off in our own doubt, disbelief, rather than allowing God to flow through us to those around us. So as I close, I just want to encourage you, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not going to love your neighbor as yourself. If you have, and you're not loving like you should, maybe you need to check inside and see if there's a problem. Either you're not getting spark, or you're not getting fuel. But it ain't running. Folks, we need to check that out. Right here. Lord, what is it? Holy Spirit, examine my heart. Let me know. Why I lack the love for those around me. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I love your plan. I love the fact that love fulfills the law. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would challenge our hearts. Father, to see if there is any ways in us that are not right. Father, it must break your heart when you see your children not loving like they should. Father, I pray that you would transform my heart to a more loving heart. Holy Spirit, that you would drag those areas to the light, that I might confess them to you. Areas where I've fallen short, areas where I've gotten selfish, areas where I haven't done what I need to do. But Father, I ask that you would bring about a great repentance upon your people. Father, that your Holy Spirit would blanket this place, and Father, that we would want more of you and less of us. That you would be greater, that you would increase and we would decrease, so that your love would flow through us. Father, I pray that you would do that today. Do that in each of our hearts by your power and by your might. Father, I ask that you would be with us during this time of response. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would have your way in each of our hearts. And we ask this in the mighty and precious name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen.